We're continuing our study through the Old Testament. We've been going through 1 Samuel. We're up to 1 Samuel chapter 29. At this point in time, David is in a backslidden state. He left Israel, so he stopped following God's will for his life. He came up with his own plan for his life. He decided to go live with the Philistines, who happened to be the enemy of Israel. While he is there, he raided towns, and as we are told, he left neither man nor woman alive in those places that he raided. So he, and he did that so there'd be no witnesses to turn him in to the Philistines. And then he lied about all this all the time to Achish, one of the leaders of the Philistines. So if you didn't know anything else about David, you just heard that, you think, wow, what a nice guy, huh, to have been that way. And he did all these things for one full year, we're told, in four months. That's a long time to go through this. So the entire time David lived among the Philistines, it says that was his behavior of what all he did. You know, so he was actually backslidden for one full year in four months. The Lord lets us know exactly how long that lasted. And it's all about to come crashing down on him in our passage today. So 1 Samuel 29 verse 1 says, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. So they're lined up ready for, for some action here. And it says, And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear of Achish. So a great battle is getting ready to take place. And Saul has prepared for it by going to see a witch at Endor. That was a huge mistake. That was his way of preparing for battle, wanting to get some answers. And we're told that the message that Saul got from Samuel in chapter 28 was not going to be a good one. If you remember back in chapter 28, verse 19, here's what the prophet Samuel said to him from the grave. He said, moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. So you're going to lose the battle. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. So they'll be among the dead. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So you have brought your, your uh, army to be taken captive by the Philistines. That's, that's the message that Saul got from, from Samuel. So things are not going to turn out well for King Saul, and they're not going to turn out well for Israel. Now, what we just saw in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 29, this is how the Philistines prepared for battle. They marched out their troops in parade formation. Uh, this would allow the leaders of the Philistines to see how many troops were ready for battle. And it was a morale booster for the rest of the army when they saw their own numbers. Some of you re may recall from years past, you saw uh, people like Russia doing this. You know, they march out their troops to show their strength. China, I think, does the same thing. So here's how they decided to prepare for battle. This is what they did. You know, as believers, isn't it encouraging that when we go to battle, all we have to know is, is our God with us? That's all we need to know. We don't need to count the troops to see if we've got enough strength. We don't need to run to a witch at Endor, <laughs> try to get some answers. We just have to know, are we on the Lord's side? Are we going the way the Lord wants us to go? It's that simple. Don't you praise the Lord for that? So we don't have to worry about numbers. We don't have to worry about strength or machinery for war. Uh, and the Lord clearly said, as we've, we mentioned earlier, I think, 
not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. So we don't need man's might. We don't need the power of a team. We simply need the spirit of God. So we trust the Lord for our victories and not in anything else. It's all on him. Is he going to bring us victory? Is he with us? So verse 3 goes on in the passage. Then the princes of the Philistines said, so they're watching this parade go by, and they see at the end of the parade David and his men marching it back with uh, Achish, the one who was in charge of that area. So the princes of the Philistines said, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, so this is gonna, the guy that David's been kind of working under, and uh, he says, is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel? who has been with me these days. And he goes, are these years? Because it's been a year and four months. And to this day, he said, I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. So we can see here the surprise in some of the leaders of the Philistines as they discover at the very end of the parade, here's David and his men marching along with the Philistine army. You know, it's kind of like they're watching this parade of troops go by and it's like Philistines, Philistines, Philistines. And all of a sudden, one of these things is not like the other. It's like, what are the Hebrews doing here? You know, it's like, we're going to fight these guys. Why are they here? Yeah, that would blow your mind. So these guys apparently find out for the first time that not only is David in their land, but he's also a bodyguard for one of the Philistine leaders, this guy named Akish. So this is just too much for these guys to handle, Okay. And look at David's situation. Here he is, supposed to be the next king of Israel. And now he's marching with the enemy during the the time when the enemy's planning and going to battle against Israel, God's people. You know, and, and how did David get to this point? Remember that for the past 16 months or so, Lord was real specific, giving us a time element, he decided to quit listening to the Lord. He didn't like the Lord's plan for his life, so he decided to take the steering wheel back from the Lord and do what he thought was best. And the Lord is showing us here how foolish and how dangerous it can be to do things our own way rather than trusting the Lord with all our heart. So what are David's options at this point? Think about where he's at, you know, stuck at the end of the Philistine army. He can keep going the direction he's going, and end up fighting against Israel, his own people, the ones that God called him to be king over. And if he went through with that, he would never be accepted as king. There's no way that people would say, you came to fight us, I don't think we want you ruling over us, okay? Or on the other side, he can refuse to fight him and say, you know, I just can't do this. These are my people, I can't fight them. And if he did, if he refused, then the Philistines would probably label him as a traitor and probably kill him and his 600 men immediately. So they wouldn't even see the battle. So those are his two options. This is David at the steering wheel. He's brought himself to these two choices. Are you going to go left or are you going to go right? Neither one's a good option, okay? So his only hope is that the Lord is going to intervene and somehow show him a tremendous amount of grace right here. Other than that, either way he goes, it is not going to be good. Now notice that it was the Philistine leaders that said, what are these Hebrews doing here, okay? So these guys are pagans, right? If the pagans even notice that you're someplace that you shouldn't be, 
then you've probably made some bad choices to get where you are. And it's embarrassing, you know, when even the lost person points out how unrighteous you're living. So boy, you hope you never find yourself in a spot like that, because that means you are really messed up. <laughs> and to make matters even worse, here's Achish, another pagan who is standing up for David. You know, can you, can you picture this? A pagan explains to his pagan buddies that you're just like them, and they don't have anything to worry about, right? You're just a good old pagan boy that they can trust, like they, did, they trust themselves. So, so much for being holy unto the Lord, huh? <laughs> Aren't we supposed to be set apart for the Lord and for his servants? Absolutely. You know, and that's why we can't hang out with the pagans and give the impression that we are just like them because that reputation just might stick. And later on, after you repent from backsliding, you just might want to witness to them about Christ. How do you think that's gonna go? Now, I'm not saying don't witness to them, okay? No, we should go ahead and witness to them anyway and just pray that God's grace will override our foolishness. And God definitely can do that, okay? So verse four goes on. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. They're angry with Achish. Said, so the princes of the Philistines said to him, make this fellow return. And you notice here, they, they couldn't even say David's name. <laughs> they wouldn't even mention his name. They said, make this fellow return that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him and do not let him go down with us to battle. And here's their reasoning, lest in battle he become our adversary. For with what could he be reconciled himself to his master if not with the heads of these men? So the Philistine leaders weren't buying what Achish said. They said, I, oh, he's no problem at all, man. He's, he's everything. He's done everything for right. He's not a problem for me. Everything's good. He'll be a good guy fighting with us. Not a problem. So they don't buy that. They even got angry with him that he would allow David to get that close to them. Can you imagine? Ooh. So you notice, too, that they weren't going to mention his name, and they basically were saying, just send this guy home. You know, we don't want him anywhere around here when we go into battle. So it's like these guys were saying, you brought a snake in here. What were you thinking? You know? I mean, wow, can you picture this from their, their point of view after not knowing what was going on? And they even explain, what happens if we go into battle with him and he turns on us, Okay. So they saw this as a very serious situation. To have an enemy in the midst of your ranks could cost a lot of lives. And they even concluded that if David did turn on them, it might be enough to get him back into good graces with Saul. If you notice at the end of verse four, it says, for with what could he reconcile himself to his master? You know, what would get him back in good graces with King Saul, if not with the heads of these men? So they even said at, that, at the end of verse 4 that this is, this is a scary thing. You need to think this one through. So it sounds like they're trying to alert Achish to the possibility that he could be risking the very lives of his friends. You know, I'm sure they were pointing, saying, what if he had the heads of these men? I mean, these are the friends of Achish. These are the relatives of him. And he's, I think they're trying to wake him up like, are you crazy? He could be taking these guys out right here. Your guys, your friends, your family. So it, it is a strange situation. Verse 5, they go on. They're not done yet trying to convince him. Is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances? So they're pointing him out here as this, the David song. Isn't that amazing how long this David song is still hanging around, 
right? It's been a long time, over 10 years, been about 10 years at this point, and still apparently it's at the top of the charts for a while. Uh, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. So they bring up another giant concern here that they figure Achish has apparently forgotten about. David, according to the song, has killed a lot of Philistines in the past, and I mean a lot of them. And who were these people? They were their relatives of these guys, right? So why would you want to bring someone like that right among our ranks when we're getting ready to go to battle against his relatives? Wow, doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it from their perspective. You can see why they were freaking out. Now, God's using all this. He's going to work in David's life here to set him up. So verse 6 goes on. Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright, and you're going out, and you're coming in with me, and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the Lord's do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So David has been snowing this guy for a long time. He's been lying to him about the people that he's been attacking. You know, he's made it sound like I'm attacking your enemy when really he's been attacking his enemy and not done anything against Israel at all. So here is David giving a very false impression that he's totally on the sides of the Philistines and that he is completely against Israel. That's the, the false impression he's been given. And now, right at this point, when he's being cut loose, saying, okay, you don't have to go fight with us. Your two choices have just been eliminated. You don't have to fight your people. You don't have to be killed by us. You can go back and leave in safety. You know, David should be thanking the Lord that he just got off the hook of a, of a crazy mess that he made for himself, okay? But instead, he puts on quite a show of what I call false charm. <laughs> Look what he says in verse 8. So David said to Achish, but what have I done? And to this day, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? Doesn't it make you sick to hear David, you know, go on and on like, oh, what have I done? Why can't I fight with you? They're your enemies. They must be my enemies too, you know. And, and you know, inside he's jumping up and down saying, thank you, I'm out of this mess. I'm, and I don't even think he's thanking the Lord yet. He's just really glad he's not there. So you know he's got to be super thrilled he's not going in the battle. And as somebody said when they, they read this about David doing his thing here, said, please stop, David, please. <laughs> We don't want to hear any more of this. So verse 9 goes on. Then Achish answered, and he said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Oh, my goodness. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to battle. Now, therefore, rise early in the morning. You can actually get a good night's sleep first. <laughs> rise early in the morning with your master's servants, who have come with you, all of your men, they are my servants too, I understand that. And as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So they went in opposite directions. So David is leaving, and I imagine he's thinking to himself, 
He's still in a backslidden state. He's not walking with the Lord. We don't see him praying. We don't see him talking to God at all. So here's what I think is probably running through David's mind. Well, I guess I pulled that one off okay. You know? And I don't know if he realized at that point that the Lord has just shown him tremendous grace by getting him out of that situation. You know, when we're in a backslidden state, we can be so blinded by our own ambition and pride that we miss God's loving hand coming in to rescue us from ourselves. Man, look what goes on in the story of chapter 30, verse 1. Now what happened when David and his men came to Ziklag, which is where they were living, on the third day, three-day journey, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. So David and his men have been on a three-day journey coming home. I'm sure they were tired and just glad to get back safe at home with their wife and families. They're probably looking forward to getting a good night's sleep from their long journey. And what do they find when they get home? Their houses had been burned up and their entire families were gone. And at this point, they may not have known if their families were dead or alive. We've got the writing in scripture, but at that point, I don't think they were, they were sure. Okay. Apparently, the, the Amalekites are mentioned here, so apparently they had heard that the Philistines were going off to fight Israel and must have heard that David and all his men were going with them. So they also must have assumed that, you know, if David and his men are goofy enough to go with the entire Philistine army, they're probably going to get killed either by Israel or by the rest of the Philistines, you know, who didn't like him anyway. So David had a lot of enemies among the Philistines, and they knew that. These guys were sharp enough to figure that one out. So these Amalekites figured it would be easy pickings to come raid these southern towns and take the women and children and whatever people who were left, kidnap them, and sell them for slaves, probably to Egypt. This is what was probably going on because that was happening during that time. So can you even begin to imagine how David and his men must have felt when they saw their homes burned and their families gone. And the Lord gives us a glimpse of that in the next couple of verses. Look at verse three. So David and his men came to the city and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. But look how much they wept until they had no more power to weep. Can you imagine these tough, rugged soldiers weeping and weeping until they had no more power to weep? The tears are gone, they're dried up, there's nothing left, the pain is still in your heart, but you can't even weep anymore. So they had lost everything, their homes and their families, gone. Everything that mattered to them in life, gone. Have you ever cried so hard and for so long that you just exhausted yourself? That's some of the deepest emotions you will ever feel. And these men were right there. Verse 5, And David's two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite, had been taken captive. 
So the Lord lets us know specifically that David himself was affected by this tragedy too. David was probably so pleased with himself on the way home uh, back to Ziglag. You know, he, he was beginning to real, he wasn't even uh, until this moment beginning to realize that he had made a terrible mistake by leaving his family unprotected when he went off to fight alongside the Philistines. So the Lord was about to give David an even bigger wake-up call. Verse 6, now David was greatly distressed, not just for his family's loss and the town burn, house burn. It says, for the people spoke of stoning him, his own men. It says, because the soul of all the people was grieved, the bitterness they had, every man for his sons and for his daughters. So at this point, David's 600 men were ready to turn on him. They blamed David for everything that had happened to them to destroy their lives, losing their homes and their families maybe forever. They were so upset with David, they were ready to kill him. So here's David. <laughs> He's starting to wake up, I think, at this point. He's just been rejected by the Philistines. They told him to get out of here and go home. They don't want him around. He's been on the run from Saul, so he's not welcome in Israel. He just lost his two wives, and now his 600 men are so bitter at him that they want him dead. He has no one left to turn to. No one left to talk to. And he's hurting so deeply from his own personal loss that his heart must have been breaking in a thousand pieces. So where do you go when you have no one left that you can talk to. Look at verse, the rest of verse six. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Wow. David did the best thing possible. He turned to the Lord. David had no strength left in himself, but he knew where he could go to find strength. He knew he could go to the one who has an infinite supply of strength the Lord God Almighty. Do you know that you can always go there? No matter how bad things get or how many things you may have done, you can always go to the Lord God Almighty. Look what the Lord did to break David and to bring him to this point of repentance. David could, took control of his own life when he decided to live among the Philistines and while he was making raids and keeping it a secret by killing all the witnesses, he thought he was, had pretty well everything under control. Even after escaping that close call with the Philistines having to go to battle against Israel when they let him walk away, he probably still thought he had a pretty good handle on things. But when he got back to Ziklag and he found that he and his men had lost everything and that it really was his fault, he's the leader. He's the one who led them away from Israel and then into the arms of the Philistines in the first place. His backslidden decisions affected all of their lives, including their families. When David got to that point, he realized that he didn't have control of anything. It's a shame when the Lord has to pull the rug out from under us sometimes just to get us to surrender to his will. I've been there myself, so I know what that's like. And the only reason God has to do that is because we are so hard-headed and so hard-hearted. <laughs> And that's on us, that's not on the Lord. But the Lord finally got David where he needed him to be a long time ago, on his knees. How about you? 
Have you been running from the Lord's will? Why not get on your knees now before the Lord has to lovingly convince you to go there? Save time and save yourself some pain. Just get on your knees right now. Verse 7, then David said to Abiathar the priest, probably hadn't spoken to him in a while, Ahimelech's son, David says to the priest there, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? You can see that David is handing the steering wheel back to the Lord. He's gotten out of the driver's seat. And the Lord answered him, Pursue, for you have surely overtaken them. You shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. So David humbly asked for the priest to help him. You notice he said, Please bring. He's the boss here. He could say, Get that thing here now. But he said, Please bring. It's a good sign. And he's got that servant heart. When David asked the Lord for guidance, notice the Lord didn't give him a hard time, didn't condemn him, you know, didn't make it an issue. Man, you've been a long time. I haven't heard from you. He didn't say that. He simply gave David the answer that he needed to hear. And above and beyond that, God also gave David a promise of victory. Our God is so gracious. Don't ever hesitate for a single moment to go to God. He is there waiting for you to come. He was waiting for David. Notice the answer was immediate. Like Lord didn't say, let me think about this a while. Boom, answer's right there. That's something. Verse nine. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, they came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, and look why they stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. Can you imagine these men who had just finished a long three-day journey all the way back home only to be emotionally devastated and exhausted after finding their burnt homes and missing families and then having to take off right away to pursue their family's kidnappers? Where do you find strength to do that, you know? It's amazing that they didn't all just collapse right there. But notice that these men, 200 of them, could not go further. They weren't shirking the work. They weren't afraid to fight. They had no intention of doing anything wrong. They just had no strength to go any further. So they stayed back with supplies. I heard a guy talking about this. You know, he's saying he's at the military, and Rich, you can appreciate this maybe, that, you know, everybody's got the same strength. <laughs> you got some guys that got more stamina. They just do. Some don't. They say, no. Throw them aside because of that. You work with them, right? Your team. So these guys had to stay behind. Verse 11. Then they found an Egyptian in the field. Just so happened. And they brought him to David. They gave him bread and he ate. And they let him drink water. Here's a guy who's hurting pretty bad. We'll find out why in a minute here. The question we ask ourselves is, how do you treat the weak? There's <laughs> a weak guy. Verse 12. They gave him a piece of a, cake, uh, of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. Uh, so when they had eaten, his strength came back to him. So they gave him bread. They let him have a drink. They even gave him some dessert, cake of figs, two clusters of raisins. After he finished the meal, his strength came back, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. 
So you got to notice something about David and his men right here. They were desperately trying to rescue their families. And yet, they took time to help this man that was hurting and starving. That says something about how David's heart had been softened by the Lord again. This is the guy who killed men and women so there weren't many witnesses. Now he stops to help an Egyptian. He's not even a Jew. Verse 13, then David said to him, to whom do you belong? Where are you from? So David's talking to the guy and he says, I'm a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. What? (laughs) Servant of an Amalekite and my master left me behind. Here's why. Because three days ago I fell sick. So he gets sick. So the Amalekite says, we don't need you. Get out of here. That's why he didn't eat for three days, drink for three days. So verse 14, we made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. Lo and behold, this guy was with the man who kidnapped David's family. Look how the Lord set this up so that it just, they just happened to run across this Egyptian slave. And they just happened to stop and help him. They'd have missed it if they hadn't helped him. And he just happened to have the very information they needed. Do you realize that without this information, David and his men wouldn't have a clue where to find their families? They had no idea where in this vast area they were at. And yet God provided the answer through this man that happened to be at the right place at the right time. Don't ever underestimate the Lord's ability to work things out. He's amazing. So verse 15, David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, notice he's asking, he's not telling the guy, grab by the collar, you're going to do this. No, he's asking him, can you take me down there? He said, and here's what the man's response is, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master and I will take you down to this troop. This man knows exactly where they are. No kidding. (laughs) Wow, the way the Lord sets things up. Verse 16, and when he had brought him down, uh, there they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. And that word twilight there can also mean the morning twilight, not the evening. So it's, it's very possible David told his guys, we're going to get some rest, go and get some sleep. These guys aren't going anywhere. They're having a party, so we'll go get them in the morning. So after they've been refreshed, David chased them all day. And it says uh, they, they chased them till the end of the day. Uh, not a man escaped, but there were 400 young men that rode off on camels and fled. So these guys, these Amalekites, they had no idea anybody was going to come after them. I mean, they figured they'd gotten away with the perfect crime. <laughs> so David and his men completely surprised them. And notice, those Amalekites were slippery folks. Some of them still managed to escape, even with a surprise attack, when they were still hung over from the party the night before. It's no wonder the Lord told Israel to completely wipe these people out. Yeah, they are slippery folks. Verse 18, so David recovered all the Amalekites had carried away. David rescued his two wives and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything, which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Praise the Lord. He kept his promise to David, even after David had been backslidden for such a long time. Our God is so gracious. 
Verse 20, then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. So David captured all the animals and the things that these Amalekites had stolen from other people as well. And it must have been quite a haul. And we'll see why here in just a minute. Verse 21, David came to the 200 men who had been so weary they couldn't follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. These are the 200 guys who were so weak they couldn't even go further. And when it says David greeted them, you might have a footnote on this in your Bible too. It says he asked them concerning their welfare. Here's David coming up saying, are you guys okay? How are you guys feeling? You don't see him saying, you bunch of bums. You couldn't even go with us. You know, what good are you? He didn't do that at all. He's wondering, are they okay? So David was kind to these guys. He doesn't condemn the people because they didn't have the strength to do more. So if you want to do more for the Lord, but you just can't, don't feel bad about that. The Lord completely understands. He's very pleased that your heart is willing, even though you can't physically do any more than you're already doing. God is so gracious, man. Verse 22, then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. So they're saying, you guys don't get nothing. You can have your wife and kids. We don't want them, but you get out of here. We don't need you anymore. But notice it says who these guys were, the wicked and worthless men. And that word worthless, it, see, it, it means men of Belial. It means men of the devil. <laughs> so who's behind this? The devil. <laughs> if you aren't worth it, we don't want you. So these men were motivated by the devil. They were completely in the wrong. Think about this. Earlier, they had helped an Egyptian man who they didn't even know. And now they won't even want to bless the men who fought beside them in the past. Battle after battle after battle, right? What a bad testimony. And obviously, the devil was behind the whole thing, right? So verse 23, David said, my brethren, notice he calls these guys, hey guys, we're family. You shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. So how do we have that victory? Was it us? Not at all, man. We wouldn't have found him for and for the Lord. So he said, the Lord is the one who have given this to us. And you think about this, if the Lord gives, then we need to give. We want to be like our Lord. So he says, the Lord has given us who has preserved us. How do we make it back? God, and delivered us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. How do you think we won that one? God, he brought them to us, right? Through the Egyptian there. So verse 24, for who will heed you in the matter? So who's gonna pay attention to you guys saying this stuff? But as his part is, who goes down to the battle, those of you guys who went, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. This coming mission trip, some of the guys are able to go. Our missionaries, we're sending them out. Some of them are staying behind. That's the rest of us. <laughs> and we're going to be praying, right? But we all get to share in the blessing of the work and the testimonies that they're going to be bringing back. Isn't that cool? We're on the same team. We're all the same family, right? Verse 26, uh, verse 25, as it goes on. So it was from that day forward, he made it a statue and an ordinance for Israel to this day. So the question again, how do you treat the weak? You know, somebody said this, the strength of any church can be measured by how well they treat the weak. Wow. Verse 26, 
Now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends. And here's what he said. Here's a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. And it mentions all the different places. And there's a whole list and list and list and list of places. And it says at the end of verse 31, to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. Okay? Now, some people look at that and say, man, look at David. He's being a politician here. He's going to set things up so when he's king, all these people will say, yeah, he's such a good guy. I don't think that's the case at all. It tells us at the end of verse 31 who these people were. These are the ones that David and his men used to go to when they were on the run. Okay? So they were, they were probably the ones who helped David and his guys when they were running, hiding from Saul back in Israel. You know, and somebody said, David's message to these people by giving them part of the spoil, he says, I'm back. He won't, he won't let these people know that he's no longer running from the Lord. I'm no longer running from God's call. He was back on track with the Lord. He's back on track with God's will for him to be the king of Israel. Wow, what a reason to rejoice. God worked in David's life to bring him back from a backslidden state. If God is doing that in your life right now, you might as well give up today. Because God loves you enough to pull the rug up from underneath you if that's what it takes to bring you back in his arms. God loves you. At this time, if we can have the entire missionary team, which is probably half of the people here, <laughs> if you guys would all come forward, we want to pray for you as we're sending you out. So everybody involved, I don't know where David is. He's, you here, Dave? Come on up. You guys come too. Steve, uh, Josh, we want you up here. Rich, anybody I'm missing? Have all you guys up here. We're going to pray for this team as we're sending them out. And just like we saw in the passage there, some were able to go, but some had to stay. These guys are going for us. They're our representatives taking the gospel to the other side of the world. So uh, we're going to pray for these guys. If you would, please pray with me. Angie, come on up. Father, we just want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing in our midst. Lord, you put on our heart to... Uh, to go do this mission work. You have raised people up for this, Lord. I pray you would bless these men, strengthen them, Lord, encourage them, and to protect them on the way. Help them to remember it's not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. So whatever goes wrong, whatever is not there, whatever doesn't work like it should, remind them to say, Lord, it's by your spirit. It's not by our giftedness, not by our talents, not by our machinery, not by anything else. It's by your spirit. Father, I pray that our, our prayers as we stay behind and we pray for these guys behind the lines here, Lord, I pray that our heart would be, please remind them, Lord, it's by your spirit. It's by your spirit. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. I just praise you for the work that's going to take place. It's all for your glory. It's all a testimony for you, Lord. We're just thrilled to be servants to be used. And we give back all glory to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.